Hello everyone and welcome to episode 6 of the Eggshells Podcast Companion. This is an audible companion to Eggshells Pro Wrestling in the Tokyo Dome. Uh, a book, both physical and digital and soon audio, um, uncovering the history of every pro wrestling show in the Tokyo Dome. And on this podcast... Uh, I take a different guest each episode to look at each year of Tokyo Dome history and go a bit beyond the text. And my guest this time is a wrestling historian and a fellow author, uh, Mr. Pat LaPride. Uh, thank you for joining me. All right, thanks for having me, Chris. So, um, 1994. Now, the reason that I chose Pat for this episode was uh, really because Pat's uh, the author or co-author of uh, Sisterhood of the Squared Circle. And like that's a, a fascinating book about the, the history of women's wrestling, uh, mainly in North America. But um, really, this sort of saw the, the peak of women's wrestling in Japan, at least in terms of a scale, um, as uh, All Japan Women went into the, the Tokyo Dome for the first and last time. And uh, if we look at 1994 in terms of, of news, it was it was like, uh, you know, I think 1994, I was, uh, I don't know about you, Pratt, but I, I was 10 at the time. But like, so I wasn't super aware of Japanese wrestling, but I was more aware kind of of Japan at this point. Um, 1994 I was 17. Japan. I was 17. And okay. I was mainly only watching WWF at the time. I had watched you know, international wrestling here in Montreal when I was uh, when I was younger, uh, but it didn't exist anymore in 93 and 94, I mean. And uh, I was just starting to get a hold of WCW because it wasn't on TV here before. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I was I was a, a, a avid uh, a magazine reader, wrestling magazine reader. So I knew all the guys and I, I was aware of the guys in Japan that were covered you know, in the magazines, which was uh, our internet at the time for, mm. for those younger listening. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I wasn't really, I, I, I don't recall watching any Japanese match before probably, my gosh, I would say probably when the internet started here. So, mm. so probably like late nineties, early 2000, that's probably where, you know, I first, you know, watch uh, Japanese wrestling uh, because it was simply not available here. And I wasn't a tape trader at the time either. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This was, uh, it's interesting to pick this up. Like the 1994 in Japan, this is a, a did you know stupid trivia thing, but like it saw the, the Japanese government start up their first website. So, oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you're familiar with uh, governmental uh websites and bureaucracy in japan probably you'd say that website hasn't been updated since 1994 (laughs) (laughs) but you know you know what i wasn't i wasn't like a big uh i didn't have a a good uh, internet access at the time uh and i i mean i i started really going on internet more regularly by 1997 98 Mm -hmm. uh, but i wasn't even reading the news on Mm. the wrestling news you know i was I was so off everything, you know. I was watching pay per views. I was watching Raw, Nitro. Uh, so, so, but like I said, I knew the guys, you know. I knew mm-hmm. the, the 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 Antonio Inokis and and John Butsuruta because John Butsuruta was, you know, even wrestled in Montreal right. uh, in the eighties, uh, part of the AWA. 
relationship that international wrestling had and rick martel was the champion for a while and and to ruta wrestled martel in montreal so so i was you know i knew the names like i said uh but you know i really didn't watch and 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 you know i didn't watch men's japanese wrestling so i didn't watch women's japanese wrestling i didn't even know there was such thing you know you know, apart from 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 the ones that we've seen in WWF, like uh, like Bo Nakano, you know. Right, and we'll definitely get into that. And um, also, I should mention, if you stay tuned to this episode, I'll, I'll also be joined here by um, Dan and Emily Reed from Pro Wrestling Eve, which is Europe's biggest uh, female yep. wrestling promotion. Uh, so they'll be joining us uh, on this episode a little bit later on. But um, yeah, 1994, uh, in general, Pat, where where were you as, as a 17-year-old? In Japan, uh, this was uh, the, the launch year of the Sony PlayStation and the Sega Saturn. So this was... Sort of a, a pop culture um, impact or, or like an increased awareness of, of, I suppose, Eastern popular culture. Um, but uh, what was what was Teenage Pat LeBride into at this point? Oh my gosh! Uh, getting into college, uh, I was I was watching wrestling since I was six, you know. So uh, my dad had brought me to my first wrestling show here in Montreal, uh, international wrestling, when I was six, and I never stopped following it uh, ever since. Uh, so at seventeen, I mean, I was still, like I said, I was still, you know. Uh, watching uh, wrestling, it, it wasn't the best of days in WWF. So I remember like watching it, but not following following it as much as I used to. Uh, I probably came back, you know, by '95, maybe you know when things started to 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 pick up a little. Um, so yeah, I mean, I was trying to find my way into life, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I had I had my license drive. My my uh, my license uh, my driving license at seventeen. So so there you go. I, I was I was only starting to uh, to drive and you know go out with friends and and yeah yeah that's that's about what I was uh, following sport. I've always been a big sports fan. So I was going to the Montreal Expos. I know baseball is used in Japan as well. So mm. I was going to to the Montreal Expos as I live nearby the Olympic Stadium here. Uh, following hockey, I mean, the Montreal Canadiens were just, you know, off of a, of a Stanley Cup uh, win. Uh, 94 in wrestling in Montreal, there was a huge, huge event uh, because it was Jacques Rougeau's retirement match against uh, Pierre Carwallet, his, uh, his former uh, teammate. Uh, and in, 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 it was actually a month before uh, the show that you're going to be talking about very soon. Um, in October of 94, uh, Rougeau and Ouellet, like sold out the Montreal Forum uh, here. And it was, it was special because at the time, baseball had just gone in, uh, in, into, into a lockout. Uh, and, and the Montreal Expos were so huge and so big that year, and that's the year they should have won the World Series. But the uh, the World Series was canceled, and, and the season was canceled. Mm-hmm. And uh, just a few months later, the NHL didn't, uh, the National Hockey League didn't start its season because of a lockout as well. Nice. So uh, so there was nothing else 
to talk about then wrestling and <laughs> and having having two guys from Montreal wrestling another. It, it was you know it, it made headlines probably everywhere, radio, television, newspapers. Uh, so it was a, it was a, a cool time. Uh, for for wrestling, you know, in in the fall of 1994 here in Montreal. Right. Yeah, that's my only knowledge of the the baseball strike or the walkout was um, uh, my only point of reference is is Abe Knuckleball Schwartz like that uh, a WWF <laughs> jobber with the the baseball painted painted face or whatever. It's uh, yeah. I mean, two shows uh, in the Tokyo Dome in in 1994, and, and um, as ever, the year started off with New Japan Battlefield in Tokyo Dome. And what we usually do is uh, choose one or two uh, people or matches from each show. And, um, you know, when I asked you what, what sort of took your interest from this card, uh, you said uh, Hulk Hogan, who was at a, an interesting point in this career, wrestled Tatsumi Fujinami on this show, but in this kind of weird WWF and, and WCW void at this point in his career. Yeah, what 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 fascinating me about Ogun in Japan is 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 not as much as in 1994 because you know in 1994 it, it was special because like you said you know it was it was uh, in between uh, in between his two uh, you know is leaving from WWF ultimately to WCW so that was that was interesting to 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 see him there but but you have to remember also like Hogan had a big history in, in Japan you know mm. uh, w- when he first signed with WWF 10 years before in 19 well end of 1983 um, he, he, people time, you know people will, will mostly say that he was you know coming from the AWA but at the time in 1982 1983 Ogun's biggest promotion was uh was New Japan yeah i mean New Japan was his biggest uh gig at, at the time so it was way i mean it was over in North America and in the AWA because of the Rocky movie Rocky 3 mm. you know that that uh, uh that that he did and he did it before he did it because Vince McMahon senior didn't want to do it he didn't want him to do it so he left uh, he left McMahon at the time he did the movie and and he he worked for for Vern and he, you know that's really where Alchemania really started that's in, in in the AWA that's fine but even so he was, you know, he was he was a much bigger uh, star, and he was he, he, he was wrestling way more in Japan, uh, um, you know, before coming to the WWF at the time. So, so I, that always interested me, and and you know, I was I, I always been a big Hogan fan, you know. I grew up, you know, I'm at you know this generation, you know, so I grew up with with Hogan. You know, 1984, I was uh, I was uh, my gosh, uh, seven years old. So, so I really grew up with with Hogan. So I had two, two, two big heroes as far as wrestling goes when I was when I was young. Dino Bravo here in Montreal, he was like a semi god. Uh, people can really the American people can really uh, understand that because the version they've they've seen of of Bravo in the late eighties, early nineties is not you know what what we've seen here in Montreal. Uh, but he was really, really huge, and the other one, of course, was Ogan. Because you know, as a kid, you you didn't see you, you didn't see the flaws Ogan. 
might have or or, or you know you, you don't see wrestling the same the same way you know so so wrestling uh not wrestling but organ was always a, the hero of mine so I, later on you know when i started reading about his career it always you know fascinating me that you know alchemania started in the awa and that he was wrestling in japan um he was wrestling in japan you know a lot with new japan and all that and and 10 years later it was like uh, you know, he spent that that ten year period in WWF, and then we're you know in 1994, and and here we come. You know, he he, he, he goes back to Japan, works with you know uh, New Japan uh, again uh, at a time where he, he he wasn't you know working for WWF, and just before going to WCW. So so it it always feels like Japan was like. It was like going back to his roots, you know, because Japan gave him, you know, a big break, um, you know, when he when he worked there in the uh, in the early in the early eighties, you know, you know, he really, uh, you know, pushed Ogun um, a lot, you know, in Japan at the time. Uh, probably one of the, and correct me if I'm wrong, but probably one of the few um, Gajan to actually uh, be a big baby face over there, you know? So, um, so, so yeah, I mean, I mean, it was just an interesting time to see Ogun going back to Japan uh, before, you know, uh, switching uh, and then shocking the world by signing with WCW. Yeah, and it's interesting, like you brought up his AWA history and like Hogan's relationship with Japan is always strange because he came from, from the American sense, AWA into, into WWF, but AWA's Japanese business was with Baba instead of... Well, Hogan. of course, yes. Yes, so, yeah, that's why Jumbo Turuta, that's why Jumbo Turuta had the, the AWA title mm. for a while, yeah. Yeah, so that was always strange from from the outset that Hogan, really because of his loyalty to Saito, um, came into to New Japan's hands and, and was used so effectively um, by Inoki. And then, like, fast forward that, and, and there's a connection in 93 and 94, again, where New Japan had their relationship with WCW, but Hogan wrestled in the summer of 1993. He was still WWF champion, and he wrestled Muto in the uh, You're right. Kokodom. Um So he always had, like, this, this strange uh, relationship with with new japan where like because he was able to call his all his own shots when it came to japan at least um he had that that ability to to go and and work for anoki if he wanted to um and yeah that's why i think part of the reason why you had this this fujinami match um was because uh hogan was was freelance when it came to japan but also that in this, like the the theme of this show was uh, New Japan versus uh, ten years promotion uh, WAR, and War did have that relationship with with WWF still, um, because SWS collapsed and then ten years yep. went and started War, and then War sort of retained some of that WWF relationship. Um, so you had a lot of WWF. That's the first time. That the, that's the first time I've seen I've seen Tenryu actually uh, wrestle because. Uh... Because he did a few a few WWF shots uh, at the time. Yep, yep, absolutely, yeah. And I think it was it was Gorilla Monsoon that called him a young man at forty two or something. Like that. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's it, it's a strange match this this Fujinami match because it it kind of um, the, I think the last time we talked about Hogan on on this program was was um, 
with his his really really good run of matches uh you know with with tenure teaming with tenure and then against tenure um and then that great match with with hansen back in uh 1990 but uh, here it just never really got out of second gear. It was it was kind of an exchange of sleepers and then, oh, you know, the axe bomber and, and then the finish. Um, but uh, always, I'm always definitely, uh, you know, I'm, I'm one of the people that, that definitely likes Hogan's Japanese output um, more than his American output. And I'm a, a big fan of, of the axe bomber as a finish over, over the leg yeah. drop. What's your take on that? It was, it seemed like the, far better worker in Japan that he mm. actually was in the United States. And I mean, it's not a knock on Hogan because, mm. you know, he was, he was doing here what he was told to do. You know, yes. I mean, I mean, I mean, you can look at, at, at the big boot and the leg drop as some, you know, like, eh, you know, it's not that big of a finish. It's not that, but I mean, when we were kids, I mean, we were like cheering and, and screaming so loud when, when the big boot hit, and, and, and when he, he, uh, uh, he laid that big, you know, leg drop on, on, on any of his opponents, I mean, I, I mean, it was working. It, it, I mean, of course, you know, like we're going to say, we'll say today, uh, it, it, you know, he had bag hips because of, because of the leg drop. And I remember I laughed at that. I remember him saying, I was, I was always saying that I had the biggest arms in wrestling. Why I should have used the sleep, yeah. <laughs> the, the sleep old, you know, I would yeah, have yeah, not yeah. fucked up my hair. So, so, so I mean, but, but I mean, the, the, the finish was working, you know, for kids. You have to remember that the eighties wrestling were really booked towards kids. Mm. Uh, so, so for us, it was, it was like the biggest finish we, we couldn't see. Uh, of course, when you see it in, in, you know, with, 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 with the eyes of, of an adult or even with someone who, who have, you know, more knowledge on wrestling now, it's, it's just what it is, you know? But I mean, is it like worse than the rock bottom that the rock were using? I guess not. You know, it was still, it was still a finish. You know, we're mm. not that far away in 1984, 1985. We're not that far away from the time where body slam was a finish. You know? mm. So, so, so you got, you got to put things into context, you know, but I know that in Japan, he was, he was a, 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 not a totally different wrestler, but he was, you know, he was a, a far better worker than, than, than he was in, in the U S you know? I think it speaks to like how canny Hogan was as a performer with was the fact that, uh, you know, even if he, he wasn't the, the best technician, but he was able to, um, certainly present like he could hang in Japan and then, yeah. you know, do what he needed to do in, in America, which was physically a lot less and, and project the, the charisma a lot more. And that he was able to, uh, work to different audiences was, was kind of the mark of someone because it's not, something that's that easy that a lot of um, like american wrestlers or foreign wrestlers um you know they don't necessarily find it that easy to go back and forth between two different audiences like that no no exactly but but uh uh i mean i guess it was the same at the time i you know i wasn't i wasn't involved in, in wrestling but one thing i always uh notice is especially for the women uh but also with the men uh, is that you know uh, in, now when whenever uh, indie uh, indie level guy or or woman uh, goes to Japan for like a month or two, he or she comes back here a total different 
wrestler, much improved, uh, and and it's it's really noticeable. I, I remember Ideal of Lace, especially uh, Ruby Riot Nine mm. WWE, when she came back from a because you know I was following Shimmer, uh, you, you know before uh, ID went to Japan, and when she came back. And I've seen her wrestle at Shimmer. I was like, wow, you could see, you could, you could feel the improvement, you know, in, 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 her, in her wrestling abilities. And it was the same, I remember, when, uh, even when Lufisto went there, you know, in the early 2000s. And, and, and you know, there's, there's many. Mike Bailey is another mm. guy from Quebec that, you know, is wrestling a lot in Japan. Maybe not by choice, but still, he's, <laughs> he's there. And, and, and he's doing great. And, and uh, I remember, you know, after his first few trips to DDT, when he came back here, he was so such a, an improved wrestler in, in, in all kind of, 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 uh, of facets of, of, of wrestling. So, so you know, I think that it, it was probably the same, uh, you know, back in the 80s or early 90s, you know, because Japan was so, so different. Um, uh, had such a different wrestling style, but also uh, <clears throat> a different way of, of looking at wrestling and performing that, you know, you got to learn something when you went there, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this this show, I mean, that, that crowd was kind of flat because this was the, the semi-main and, like, the, the big deal was uh, tenure against Inoki, which was, like, a, a huge match. Um, but I also wanted to look at, at this one. The the IWGP title match on on this card was uh, Masa Chono against Shinya Hashimoto, and like Chono was one of those guys that wrestled a lot for WCW in the early nineties. Um, yep. And I I wanted to ask you about uh, Shinya Hashimoto because uh, you know New Japan in the certainly through the eighties, uh, sort of mid to late eighties, had a, a working relationship with with Stampede and sent a lot of guys to to Canada. Um, and I, I was wondering if, if you knew anything about Shenya Hashimoto's time as Hashif Khan. Um, no, I'll tell you why. Because uh, as much as I am from Canada, Montreal is as far as, uh, as close to Calgary as New York is from, uh, I don't know, Las Vegas maybe or, or, or someplace in, in, <laughs> uh, on the western side of, of uh, the U.S. So, so Stampede, again... I knew all of these names because because of the magazines, uh, but you know we didn't have Stampede Wrestling here, or if we did, it was in the later years, and and you know I didn't really watch it. I was more of a of a, of a WWF uh, mm-hmm. fan at the time, uh, so so um, unfortunately I didn't see really. Uh, uh, him wrestle in, in Stampede. I didn't see any Stampede before, you know, I really uh, started getting involved in, in pro wrestling 15 years ago. So, right, so, right. so I, uh, you know, b- besides just, you know, seeing his name in the rankings and, and, and in some mm. articles and the magazines, I wasn't following the Stampede, se- stampede mm. scene because mm-hmm. it was just too far away, you know? Mm. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting though, like, you know, being the, you had this Japanese guy come over and uh, the first thing somebody does is, is book him as a Mongolian man. Uh, but like, you know, that was kind of the, the 1980s for you, I suppose. It, well, well, I mean, I mean, wasn't it the same, the same they did with, uh, with Killer Khan? 
wasn't Killer Khan a Japanese guy that they were using as a yes, as, yeah, as, as right. from Mongolia? Yeah, yeah. Go. yeah, and I'm sure like him being booked as as Hashif. I, I'm not as I'm not familiar with Stampede either, but like I think they they were playing up the the relationship there. Uh, you, you were talking about about um, you were talking about Maza Shono, but I mean I, I remember also Kijimuto working for WCW. Yes, uh, in the in the early nineties, I have much better memories of of, of Muto than right. than Shono actually, because uh, yes. it was it was something something special, you know. It yeah. was uh, it was different. He had uh, uh, he had a different personality, and and yeah, I remember Muto. Uh, much more. I wasn't watching that much of WCW, but I still got it more than than anything else but WWF. So, so yeah. I mean, uh, I remember. And, and Muto was was much more uh, covered by the uh, U.S. wrestling magazines uh, than probably anybody else mm. uh, from Japan at the time, because he was the main guy from Japan working in the US. So and I always find it interesting that he, he had actually uh you know a different name here than he had in, in Japan. You know, it was great Muta versus Kijimoto. So it, it was always, you know, th that that always fascinated me. Right. And then he sort of bought that as an extra persona to bring across, which was, was so smart. But uh, yeah, I mean certainly Muto and Chono like you know, WCW were were taking Muto much more seriously. I know Jim Ross was pushing hard for him to be nwa champion um and that sort of felt he, he actually became i think but after the split with wc right w, yes so. exactly yeah. yeah 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 so he he was but that was winning it from chono which um you know chono never really took off in wcw or in america at the time because you know really kind of the the timing was off for him this was kind of a phase where chono was kind of almost like tetsuya naito was before Los Ingobernables, where like he was kind of he was a good solid hand, he was a good wrestler, but that's really all he was. That there wasn't much of a, a charisma to him really until like the summer of this year in, in 1994. Then he sort of went black clad, and and then you had like the the NWO connection come in. But uh, yeah, the, I mean, Keiji Muto on this show, to, to go back to him, you, you had like Muto and Hase against the, the Steiner brothers on, on this match, which was uh, on this card, which was um, an interesting one. Uh, Steiner <laughs> brothers are kind of a, another sort of interesting pairing, like Hogan. They were able to call their own Japanese shots. Yeah. I, I don't know if you knew this, but Rick Steiner was wrestling in Montreal back in the mid 80s for international wrestling. Uh, it wasn't teaming with Scott, but uh, I met with Rick in in the in, in you know a few years ago, and he, he remember fondly his, his time in, the, in in Montreal. He had work here, I think, a summer or, or something like this, and uh, I want to say eighty four, maybe eighty five. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so, so I knew of Rick Steiner uh, before even you know. Uh, started to gain fame uh, with uh, with with the NWA with with Rocket and 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 with WCW after that. So uh, so yeah, I mean the, the Steiners worked a lot in, in in Japan at the time too. Yeah, yeah. This uh, this match was probably most significant for Scott Steiner inventing or you know certainly I think like this was one of the big debuts of the Steiner screwdriver. Um, 
as spectacular as that move is. So like he, he hits that and the, the crowd is, is in absolute shock. You know, the, the answers <laughs> are selling it like this is the most amazing thing that they've ever seen. Uh, you'd think this was the finish, you know, that he'd go and pin Hase. He did cover Hase. Hase kicked out a two, but that's because before he went to cover Hase, Steiner instead just walked around, posed, got up on the second turnbuckle, did this 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 big point at the crowd and, and just went, who's fucking beating us now? Which was like, Brian Scott Steiner. <laughs> um but uh yeah let's let's change gears then and and let's look at um the all japan uh big egg wrestling universe uh show which was uh november of of 1994 and um this was kind of pointed to as it was kind of an an anniversary show um of sorts not of all japan women's because that that came into effect in in the 60s um but this was uh you know close to uh almost exactly at not really sure whether it's the same day um but the first japanese uh women's wrestling card um which which happens really just a few months after um you know the the first pro wrestling card in in japan you know when when you had uh ricky dozen and and kimura and and all the rest of those um you know in february i think of of 54 then you also had um you know this this first uh women's card um there at the time at the time and and uh coming over was was mildred burke and and may young um for those uh you know headlining as as the first sort of foreign uh women over over yeah it was it was actually in november of of 1954 yes yeah so that that, that, so that's why that's why the uh the 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 big egg wrestling universe show was also in in november uh but uh 40 years uh, 40 years later yeah 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 um so so so, i mean I, i mean i mean uh that show, the, the 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 big egg show was, I mean, probably something that will never be able to be duplicated again. You know, yeah. I don't. I, I, as much as WWE is pushing their women right now, uh, I, I I do believe, and I've been saying that for a few years now, even before she actually signed with WWE. But I do believe that there's more chance of having Ronda Rousey and probably Charlotte Flair or Stephanie McMahon main eventing WrestleMania than having 32,000 people in a stadium for an all women's, you know, wrestling yes. card. Yeah. I mean, that would be great if it happens, but I just doubt that, you know, we'll ever see that again, you know? So that's why this show is, is, uh, is so important historically because, you know, it's something that, you know, we might never see again. Right, yeah, I'd I'd be surprised if if we ever did, and and certainly in the West where there would just have to be a same, a change of the the culture of of wrestling, where you know really, um, you know now finally that the women are sort of being held on on some kind of level as the men, but it's always like a, another part of the same show, like women's wrestling as a separate genre, like um, you know not such a, a as big a deal as, as it was treated in Japan. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I would see, I would see WWE having uh, an all women's show. I would see them having an all women's uh, TV show on, on, on their network. Um, but I, I, I don't think there'd be, there'd be, you know, 32,000 people in a stadium. They could fill, 
you know, an arena, I guess, you know, like 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 NXT, NXT would do with, you know, with the right people, the right promotion. Uh, the, the, you know, it's something that is doable. Uh, but uh, I mean, I mean, not only was there like 32,000 people in, in Japan for that show, but I mean, uh, the, the money people were spending for that show. It's I mean, this is this is a level of popularity that, you know, women's wrestling will never uh, I mean that res- women's wrestling in North America will probably never see. You know, uh, it's it's uh, it was just uh, amazing. I, I remember at the time here in North America, we didn't hear much of it. More than you know, you got to remember still it was in '94, so there were no real uh, internet access. It was just starting. Uh, so so it was all through the magazines. So I remember like you know seeing that in some magazines, but. It was never, uh, you could never really understand the importance and the level of popularity that all Japan women had and that this show uh, had as well, you know. So, so I, was, I was happy to uh, actually get to, uh, to, to, to research that a little more and, and to read about it, uh, you know, way before we wrote the book. Uh, but, you know, to, to, to reread and research that, you know, when we actually did the book. Yeah, and there's such a, that, like, I, I wonder if you can speak to the, the differences in sort of philosophy and when it came to sort of women's wrestling in the early days, because it, it kind of seems like, you know, doing my own research, you know, looking into the, the, the history of the Joshi scene, which um, wasn't something I was hugely familiar before, uh, before I wrote Eggshells. But, um, you know, in Japan, there were all of these discussions and all of this debate around women's wrestling that seemed to take place, like everything seemed to happen 10, 15 years for the women before it did the men. Um, so, you know, when you finally had all Japan women's being set up uh, in the 60s, like before that, there was a lot of this discussion over should women's wrestling be more sports oriented or should it be more like sports entertainment? You know, it, it, it seems strange that that discussion was, was being, in, being had uh, really in the, in the late fifties and then like fast, you know, sort of fast forwarding into the 1980s where the, the women's style was, was so innovative and so fast paced and so kind of athletic and high flying. Um, you know, you okay, had okay, a lot yeah. of this... Hold on, hold on. I just want to, I just want to get this straight. You're saying that in Japan, there were talks in the late fifties about, it, you know, if if women's wrestling should be more sports entertainment than uh, actual wrestling. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, this was kind of, um, you know, certainly not. Uh, these talks weren't happening in the open, but uh, no, what no, sort of, of course happened, not. you know, be- behind why the All Japan Women's was was set up in the first place was like this kind of. A dichotomy of, of yeah should it be uh treated or should it be presented pretty much the same as as men's wrestling should be or should it be presented as as something more entertainment grounded and i think like entertainment with almost sort of sneer quotes at, at the time you know and you, you have to yeah, appreciate yeah, no, I, get it. I get it a lot of it's, yakuza it's, it's money really going funny. around you know it's it's really funny chris because at the same time here in north america the discussions around women, women's wrestling were more about uh, were more about uh, should we allow women to wrestle? Mm. That's that's. I mean, I found it. I, I found that so interesting in the sense that you know, in Japan, it was whether or not 
it should be more entertaining or more, you know, uh, actual wrestling here. I mean, you could the, the things you could read in the late 50s and even even through the 60s and the 70s on women wrestling, it was like awful. It's awful to read that now, you know. Yeah. Uh, you, you had politicians uh, going like, um, well, you know what it was, what it was your sister wrestling, you know, wouldn't you be ashamed of her, you know, the, 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 uh, degrading her like this and, and, and stuff like that. It was like very, very hard to actually read that, uh, in, in, you know, 30, 40, 50 years later. Uh, but it was really seen as if, you know, women wrestling was something, uh, that was just uh, a dirty, uh, dirty thing. You know, it was like if they were like, <laughs> it's funny because the way the, the way some people were talking, it was like if they were like, um, I don't know if they like, and don't get me wrong here, but if it, it the words chosen by those people were as strong as if these women were like, uh, prostitutes or, or like mm. strip dancers, you know, it was mm. like, would you, would, wouldn't you be ashamed if your sister was wrestling? Jeez, she she's earning your life. She's, she's earning a living. I mean, she's not, <laughs> she's not, she, she's wrestling. She, she draws people. There's like people yeah. paying to see her. And I guess you can also say that for strippers, but that's not my point here. Yes. You know? yeah. There's a big difference. But but at the time it wasn't it was like if it was all the same it was as mm. shameful to be to be wrestling for women for certain people and and in in certain cities or certain states uh, than it was you know if they were just you know uh, selling their their body you know or, or, or stripping so so it was it, I find it like very very fascinating to see the difference just. Not as far as the wrestling uh, world goes, but as far as you know, uh, where the uh, uh, you know the context of you know uh, where the the population was actually uh, how they were seeing uh, you know such contests. So so it's yeah it's, yeah it's, yeah, it's, well, it's really I, weird. I think like there, but there is some crossover there. You know, I mean, to say that there was this discussion over sports versus entertainment was was something that was uh, forward thinking um, isn't really right. You know, I mean, like it's it was entertainment in sneer quotes. You know, so I mean, when um, uh, when AJW was was getting off the ground, it was you know they had such a, a low budget and a lot of that money was was mob money so you wound up having a, a lot of women's wrestling shows in strip clubs um and you know that's kind of when um you know on this uh big egg uh show you you had um a minis match uh you know a minis men's match in in the second match of the card which actually um kind of was a nod to where japanese women's wrestling kind of originated through those early years in, in the 60s where a lot of it it was like um you know the the men's clubs and here's your strippers and then here's a women's wrestling match and then here's uh midgets wrestling you know and it was kind of like a circus sideshow when it went entertainment it was a uh, very seedy entertainment for a time until the tv but at least it wasn't it was banned right well there you go yeah so, um, so you may, maybe maybe thinking of it, maybe that's one of the reasons why um, women's uh, wrestling in Japan was so uh, so much uh, 
in advance, uh, mm. you know, compared to uh, compared to to North America, mm. where you know we didn't really have, uh, or it's not that there weren't good workers in in let's say in the, in the 80s, or but there weren't that much in the 70s. But in the 80s, you had you had a more uh, a better indie. Uh, uh, level of, of, of women's wrestler, you know, aside from, from the ones who were seeing, you know, in the top promotions. And uh, I mean, they were good workers, but they were not like uh, book as good workers, you know, they, they, yeah. they were booked, you know, in, in the typical women matches that, that North American promoters wanted, wanted at the time, you know, so, uh, and, and, you know, at the same time in Japan, women were just, you know, killing it. So, so, so maybe that's, that's a reason why, um, there, there was that much difference between, uh, between the two, uh, uh, the, 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 between Japan and North America at the time. Yeah. And the star, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure perhaps chips on the shoulder were, were one thing and also just the way they were presented, but, um, the star so innovative, like, especially in the eyes in the eighties. And as I said, like, there's this, uh, great quote by Chikisen Nagayo, who was, um, you know, working a lot in, in that era when, you know, she said that back then where everybody else thought of the ring as square, um, they were sort of trained to look at the ring as a cube, you know, like this, this extra dimensionality to, to wrestling. Mm-hmm. And they were having like these, uh, sort of matches really very similar to like a, a Will Ospreay versus Ricochet match where, you know, there was that sort of like a Cirque du Soleil like quality to it. Um, that was sort of years ahead of its time. And then you look at this, this Tokyo Dome show and you had like Aja Kong and Manami Toyota, like, uh, killing each other, you know, and, and just such this, this aggressively, uh, physical demanding style that, um, yeah. you know, but just, like now it it's not out of place for the men to do that kind of thing and and the women were doing it you know 25 years earlier yeah it's funny when you mention to someone who've never really watched or paid attention to uh to the women's scene especially in japan that you know you're gonna find a a, a five-star match you know in 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 all um all Japan women that you're gonna uh, find even matches of the year uh, in 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 the Meltzer Wrestling Observer newsletter awards, and and people were like, "What? What are you talking about? Women like you know winning the match of the year award?" I was like, "Yeah, I mean, I mean in Japan it was so different, and we never had you know honestly on on I'm not talking on the, on the indie level, but as far as big promotions go." You've never had that level of quality, anything close to what you know was happening in Japan before uh, the arrival of of women like just recently, you know, with with, with Bailey mm-hmm. and Sasha Banks and Charlotte and Becky Lynch, and and all those girls, you know, that's really where you know, not where, but when uh, women's wrestling and WWE really started to 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 pick up and to have quality matches that you could actually compare to uh to a men match. Uh, I mean there there were a few, you know, and you know here and there uh there's always been like for the past 20 years there's always been very good workers, you know, Beth Phoenix uh was a very very good worker but who couldn't really show uh all that she could do in the ring, I think. Um, Natalia is another one that, you know, that, that was limited for a long, long time, uh, 
limited in, in what she could do, not limited in her talent, of course. Uh, but um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, I mean, the Japanese scene, uh, uh, you know, back in even even the late seventies uh, and and mostly eighties and nineties, and even today, uh, you know, uh, the Japanese the Japanese girls are 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 so so good uh, still uh, still today. Uh, but you know, especially when when in WWE there weren't much of a of a women's uh, division uh, back in the 80s and 90s, it was just so different in Japan. And and if you know, if someone I've never watched anything from from all Japan women, uh, you're gonna see, you're gonna be quite surprised, even if you watch it in 2018. Yeah, and you you kind of had underneath like the the as a semi final to this show in twenty one matches on on this card, which was uh, quite a lot to to get through, um, and yet they were they were still up for the end. Um, but yeah, and but, it wasn't but... it, it wasn't the best all Japan women show right. uh, that ever happened. But it was it was just so such a big such a big event. Yeah, in general, yeah. that that you know, that's why you know we 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 remember him the most. Well, there you go. I mean, like it it almost to, to go back to like being sort of years in advance. It's almost like a a modern WrestleMania now, where yeah. it was like this very 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 long show, but it was more sort of pointing that's towards right. you know a, a celebration of of what they did in general, um, you know, and, and rather than focusing on on what their their core strength was. It actually, um, it actually beat WrestleMania this year because it, it lasted ten hours at the Tokyo Dome. At the time. <laughs> yes, yeah, it started at go. two p.m. and it ended just before midnight. So that's yeah. uh, that's a very very long show. <laughs> yeah, very long indeed, and like the the semi for that um, had that WWF tie because you had uh, Bull Nakano and Alundra Blaze. Uh, yeah, the the WWF women's or ladies title as as it was known then. Um, it was women's title in in ninety four. It was an, uh, yeah, it was woman, women's title in ninety four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I I mean that those two, and especially like Alundra Blaze, because like she came, she did a year sort of uh, in Japan, then then went sort of then went back to WWF, and then there was the the entire sort of story and and both of their their promos afterwards was kind of Alundra Blaze, like in this this post match interview, kind of. Uh, in a little bit of a backhanded sense, a little bit of, of innuendo was was sort of taking shots at the WWF and kind of saying, "Well, you know, I lost this this title because women's wrestling is is so much more advanced here than it is in the states, and I've been in America too long, and and uh, and this and that." But uh, yeah, what's your take on on Alundra Blaze and and Bull Nakano in the West? Um, I mean, Alundra Blaze. Uh, I have m- more memories of her uh, than than Bill McCano. Uh She was used obviously much more. Uh, and uh, I, I mean, I mean, Alundra Blaze was probably one of the good workers of her time here in North America. She just, I mean, I mean, WWF wanted to uh, try to restart their women's division. Uh, I mean, because before, before, like, like just recently, with, with all the girls from NXT coming over, and and Paige and and Emma and and all that, and AJ Lee to to a certain extent. Um, I mean, before that that era, before that period of time, WWF, you know, tried to add to to have a, a women's division, uh, 
three times, like like with when director in in the mid eighties, you know, with the whole rock and wrestling era, they wanted to have uh, one director to be the women's Hulk Hogan in a, in a way. Um, I mean, that's even at the time where you know late eighties when the jumping uh, Bob Angels uh, wrestled um, uh, wrestled uh, Lilani Kai and, and Judy Martin here in the in the U.S., which were like very very good matches, but they were so different than whatever else women were doing in WWF that it was it was it was working but at the same time it was so different that they were like uh, seen as uh, as as something too different uh, and and didn't really I mean at the time it, they were like probably the uh, the last uh, when they had that that rivalry they were like the only women working in WWF at the time even the women's champion wasn't wrestling much uh, I mean, just 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 a quick anecdote. But I mean, uh, Rock and Robin, Jake uh, Jake Roberts' sister, was woman champion, and for uh, a WrestleMania, she didn't even defend her title. She sang the uh, national anthem. Oh, yeah. So yeah. that's that's how you know, that's how women's wrestling was portrayed. You know, it was it wasn't much of a, uh, it wasn't really important for them at the time. And and soon after, um, there were no women's division. They they tried it back. With Alondra Blaze in the uh, early to 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 mid nineties, uh, and again, you know, they just weren't, I guess, devoted, um, you know, to it. Uh, and 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 you know, as far you know, as soon as 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 another one, uh, another woman that you uh, you, you uh, that that perform a lot in Japan around the same, mm. um, as soon as she came. In North America, in the WWF, working as Berta Fay, you knew you knew that you know the women's division wouldn't go anywhere, you know. Right. Uh, and and uh, that's sad because they, they they tried it. They had they had in Alondra Blaze, uh, also known as Medusa. Uh, they had uh, someone who could actually lead that division, but they were not just you know into into it, and you know just give up on it real soon and that's too bad but you know that's that's that was the mentality uh at the time and um i mean uh, soon 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 after that um soon after that the you know medusa went to uh to uh, to wcw with that thing that she probably is remembered the yeah, most for, for yeah. you know in in throwing the uh uh, throwing the, uh, the 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 WWF Women's Title in the garbage can, you know, in, in you know on air at a WCW Monday Nitro. So, uh, but I mean, she she was always a good worker. Uh, it's funny because that we mentioned her because I was at uh, Shimmer taping uh, tapings uh, a few weeks ago, and she was actually there on the Friday with Rise to to help uh, to help the the, the the young girls you know and in, in, in the seminar over there so so i mean wrestling is is you know wrestling is in her blood it's always been uh and and uh, and it's really too bad that at the time uh neither wwf or even wcw really uh, had any uh real interest in in building a strong women division even if they had brought you know uh, Japanese girl like Bo Nakano, uh, and 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 I mean I, I remember seeing Nakano in, in WWF, but women's I mean women's wrestling was so not 
well portrayed by the WWF that, you know, I was pretty much like everybody else. You know, I didn't really pay much attention mm. uh, to it. Uh, it was also in 94, uh, 93, 94, where, you know, the product itself wasn't at it, at it best. So, uh, so, so, I mean, it was what it was, you know, but it's, it's just... It just disappointing that you know they could have created something really really good like they are doing today. Can you imagine if if a Bull Meccano of of uh, of twenty twenty five years ago would be coming to WWE right now? And I mean we have we have Canna, we have we have uh, Asuka, which is I say we like like I'm just saying we because it's North <laughs> America, <laughs> not not on our own yes. any part of WWE. But but I mean there's there's Asuka there. And, and she's great, but can you imagine all the women that were, you know, so good in, in the early uh, 90s in Japan if WWE would have really wanted to create something special in the women's yeah. division, you know, how he could have changed uh, women's wrestling forever at the time. But, you know, didn't happen. They were not invested in it for whatever reason. And, and you know, it's, it's like that. Yeah, yeah, and I, th- I think that's uh, you know you hit the nail on the head. Like as as good as as you know, Connor and and Kylie Hodro and like uh, Io Shirai like would would be you know and and are you know in in a, a modern sense, but it, it's very very different to you know the the, the Aja Kongs and Manami Toyotas and like then going back to you know Linus Asker or or Dump Masamoto and like. It's it's a completely different thing, and that this this show is bittersweet because it's it was like as as big as women's wrestling got, and then you had this very sharp contraction, um, not long after this, where it was like the again there you go, it was like the Japanese women's bubble burst, you know, a few years yeah. before the men's bubble burst, you know, and and that's you know it, it's it's a shame. Uh, sort of looking back at the show, uh, thinking not what could have been, but what was and won't ever be again. But still, still today, I mean, Japanese women are so so good. Mm. And I remember asking uh, that was maybe 2013, just before 2013, 2014, just before uh, the women's division really got uh, got stronger in the, the, the WWE. Uh, or, or not stronger, I should say, but more, uh, you know, there were more focus put, focus put into it. Um, I remember asking Dave Meltzer why there was not um, uh, an award for best female wrestler. Uh, there's never been. And his answer was the best female wrestlers were in Japan and are still in Japan. And there's not enough people uh, who actually you know there's not enough people who actually vote who watch women's wrestling right. in japan so 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 you know he, he didn't he never had one because he felt like uh probably a, a, a north american woman would have won when when in reality probably the top five if not the top 10 depending of the years uh, you know, would have been Japanese wrestlers, you know. So, 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 you know, it's it's certainly not like that anymore. Uh, but still, you know, Japanese wrestlers, uh, female Japanese wrestlers are still very, very, very good. Every time, you know, I see them in in in, in Shimmer. Uh, I mean, you know, here in North America, we you know we can see Asuka. 
almost every week uh, every week uh carry saying on on nxt uh but i mean yo shirai is just you know amazing you know i've seen her in, in las vegas at the um cauliflower alley club a couple of years ago and she was like wow you know it was the first time i had seen her live and i was like wow she's amazing but i mean you know yo yo matsumoto is is just great you know i see her all the time in in uh, in shimmer uh, at shimmer and she's just you know great i remember seeing kana asuka uh, working for shimmer as well you know so I, i mean still today you can you can see that the legacy still lives on in Japan as far as the Joshi goes because of of you know historically speaking what women's wrestling was in Japan both you know in the 80s and 90s yeah all right um so yeah thanks pat for for coming on and taking this this look at at 1994 um Before we get on out of here, this uh, this show's uh, going out to uh, the Indiegogo backers, the people that supported uh, Eggshells uh, back on the, the Indiegogo crowdfunding campaign first. And then it, it's getting to the public uh, probably around this summer. And we're recording this in uh, late April, or early May. Um, so, Pat, bearing that in mind, do you have anything that's not time sensitive that you want to promote? <laughs> of course. Um, you can find uh, all of my books on Amazon, uh, even in Japan, in the UK, uh, of course, in North America. So there's Mad Dogs, Midgets, and Screwjobs, uh, the story of uh, Montreal wrestling that I wrote with Bertrand Ebert. Uh, there is also uh, Mad Dog, the Maurice Vachon story, a uh, biography on, on former wrestling WWE Hall of Famer uh, Maurice Mad Dog Vachon. Uh, there is obviously Sisterhood of the Squared Circle, the historian rise of women's wrestling uh, that I wrote with Dan Murphy, forward by uh, Natalia, uh, that is uh, available. If you haven't watched it yet, so we're in the summer, so if you haven't watched it yet, I strongly suggest you watch the HBO documentary on Andre the Giant, uh, who was also a huge name, as you know, in, in, uh, in Japan. Uh, so you can watch it through uh, HBO now, uh, HBO On Demand. Um, I, I'm guessing it's going to be available on the WWE Network at some point. Not sure if, if, if you know, when you'll be listening to this, it will be there. But I'm guessing it'll be at some point. Um, also, um, uh, it, it's funny because you're saying that you're going to have uh, Pro Wrestling Eve promoter on, on the show. Uh, I'm actually uh, co-promoting the uh, Femme Fatale brand uh, out of uh, the province of Quebec and Ottawa here uh, in, in Canada, which is the only uh, all-female wrestling uh, company in Canada. Uh, so, so it was a promotion that, that started back in uh Uh, back in 2009, I'd stopped in 2015, and uh, me and another uh, partner um, uh, started back the promotion uh, last uh, February. Uh, so by the summer, we'll probably have uh, another show coming up or a show uh, uh, being announced very soon. So uh, if you check uh, the Femme Fatale Facebook or Twitter page, you'll be able to find all the information. Uh, DVDs are uh, sold on iSpots.com. And finally, you can, you know, find me on uh, social media, uh, on uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Pat Laprad. That's L-A-P-R-A-D-E. And I'll be uh, very glad to uh, talk some wrestling with, with all of you. Okay, listen, thanks so much. Man.
So to an interview I did with Dan and Emily Reed from Pro Wrestling Eve, Europe's biggest uh, women's wrestling promotion. This uh, interview was conducted just before their big Wrestle Queendom show in York Hall. So there's a little bit of chat about that and about uh, Pro Wrestling Eve having booked Aja Kong and Manami Toyota in the past. Dan and Emily are quite familiar with their talent. So there's a lot of first names being uh, banded about. Aja and Manami are fairly obvious, uh, but Mako refers to Mako Satomura and Eddie to Eddie Sakura, two veteran figures in the Joshi scene. Uh, Sakura for Ice Ribbon and Satomura for Sendai Girls. Hope you enjoyed this interview and uh, do join me for the next episode where I'll be joined by Post Wrestling's Wei Ting to talk about 1995, a very interesting year in Tokyo Dome history, uh, which includes the New Japan versus UWFI feud uh, getting started in earnest and also the insanity that was uh, the weekly pro wrestling uh, baseball magazine card. So yeah, I uh, hope you enjoy the rest of this episode and uh, you can listen to me soon again. Bye. All right, so uh, Pat and I have just gone over the um, the big egg All Japan women's card and for an added insight into uh, women's wrestling and how this card, of uh, what this card meant to, to women's wrestling, I'm, I'm joined by uh, a couple of, I suppose, experts in the field. At least that's their job, so... It's kind of important to them. Um, <laughs> from the largest, is it safe to say the the biggest women's wrestling promotion in Europe? Can uh, I call yeah, you guys that? Yes. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. Representing. I think, yeah. I think you struggle to find anyone bigger. And I mean that in a totally humble way, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, certainly you'll struggle to find people that run more regular. Right. Like flipping out. Right. okay yeah so representing uh pro wrestling eve uh dan and emily reed uh thank you both for hopping on thank you for having us yeah 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 cheers for asking so um yeah i guess for because you know as as we go through this journey on this podcast I'm, i'm sort of asking all my guests like their relationship with um you know, like your relationship to wrestling at certain points and your rest of the relationship to Japanese wrestling at certain points can be can be kind of different. Um, and then, you know, adding women's wrestling on top of that as kind of a, a separate genre, because like women's wrestling is a separate genre and it's certainly in Japan. Um, you know, that that adds another sort of dimension to that question. So, I mean, to both of you, I guess, like Emily first, like what was your introduction to uh to japanese wrestling and to women's wrestling as a separate genre as opposed to something that was part of 
another company, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, my introduction to Japanese wrestling was through uh, the Wrestling Channel, I think is when I first saw it uh, in the UK. And I saw Noah and Kenna Kobashi, and I was just blown away. And it taught me how to see the story purely through the wrestling. So it's like it opened up a whole new world for me. And I fell in love with Kobashi, to be honest, and pretty much did the the weird, mild stalking of finding every single thing I could to watch with him. Uh, and then I found Mako and I found women's wrestling, which appealed really strongly to me because I'm a feminist. And seeing women that I could relate to and seeing them being strong and so different to WWE, they weren't sexualized. They were just, ama just amazing wrestlers. And that's what drew me into that. And that's what I wanted to have in the West and, and why we started one, running women's shows. I wanted women to have the same platform as the men and to show how amazing they could be. So that's me. It was self done. Yeah. You, we were talking <laughs> about this being like your, one of the, one of your first tapes you traded back in, back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I don't remember exactly what got me into, uh, Oh no, 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 I do. It was, um, the first thing that got me into Japanese wrestling. Um, I think I'm very old now and I've had a stroke. So you'll have to forgive me if some of my time. You're not very old. old. Okay. I'm At medium all. age. Uh, <laughs> but it's been a long years. I think yeah. it was ring warriors on Eurosport, which was new Japan. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that would be time around 95 mm -hmm. uh, when I started watching that. And that led to um, that led to me getting into the tape trading scene. Um, and I got the ECW, the night the line was crossed. Um, and at the end of it, Rob Butcher had put some more Japanese wrestling on the end. And, and then that just got, got me hooked again from there. And it was, uh, uh, from that point on, I was, you know, getting all the, the, the Japanese wrestling tapes that I could from, uh, from around that era. So, yeah, I think this was like 94, 95, something around that, is, uh, around that time. To, to like the, the younger members of, the, of our audience, that was like, you know, kind of the, the YouTube up next thing of its day, <laughs> you know, it's yeah, instead of a recommended link, right. it was like somebody clutching some Japanese wrestling on the end of a different tape. Yeah, that's right. And it was just like, I, if you like this, you might like this as well. If not, you'll at least find this interesting. Because yeah. I, I think it was the bed of nails death match that was put on the end of all the things that was, and then something else as well. I think Bruiser Brody was in another thing that was put on the end of the tape. It was... Yeah, it, it was um, – that is exactly right. That's exactly how to put it. There was just these bizarre collections that you'd uh, that you'd get uh, on the tape trading scene. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like, Emily, you mentioned, like, so really it was – it was, like, the, the Japanese sort of way of doing things, of having separate women's promotions that kind of sparked EVE. But, I mean, like, do uh, either or both of you – like, how does – the the history or like our japanese history like how's that different to britain because i mean there is kind of a hit there is a history of women wrestling women's wrestling in, in britain but um 
but you know it's it's kind of it's it's not really like the american path it's not really like the the japanese path can you sort of speak a little bit to to that history yeah i mean it's it's a hidden history in many ways you know i mean a lot of people don't know that you know brian dixon toured with uh, all women's shows you know back in the uh, back in the 80s um he just wasn't able to you know get into london with them legally um and so you know, there's, there is a long history of, you know, women's wrestling uh, over here. Some of it is, isn't necessarily for the best. There was a period of time when, um, you know, it was certainly put as though you do these moves because your role is there for the dads, mm. which wasn't to the UK, but it did become a theme uh, for a while. Um, and, you know, not everyone was into that. So I'm not trying to put everyone in the same uh, boat because there was a number of women that just wanted to be, you know, professional wrestlers. There were a lot of women where, if they were uh, conventionally pretty, would be hired so they could be put on the poster. Yeah, well, that's, whether, that's a, whether they could wrestle. That's a, that's a or thing not. in general, though. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, there is a history of uh, of women's wrestling over here. It's just um, we we never um, we we never had really like that big star. Um, you know, over here, I think the, the the biggest many would probably, arguably, you know, rightfully make would probably be Mitzi mm. uh, around that uh, around that kind of time. Uh, but we never had, um, you know, um, anyone that was, you know, selling out um, massive venues like uh, like the states had in the sixties. Right. So, you know, so it's. Um, Unless you know more about it than well, unless you know some bits that we don't, which is quite possible. Yeah. Um, you know, it's. Uh, it, I mean, they weren't allowed on television, mm. so that caused a, a lot of um, obviously problems with regards to exposure, right. uh, because they couldn't broadcast women's wrestling on TV over here, and I think that's what damaged it. Um, and the reason why I think for a long while as well, the women's wrestling scene over here was you know, uh, behind the counterparts elsewhere. Mm. I, I mean, one thing that strikes me, that sort of struck me sort of watching the show back, you know, and, and watching, you know, just for, the, for the, the sake of time, you know, I haven't really seen that much uh, Joshi of that era. Um, but the, the style is instantly... And like very recognizably, like completely different from what the men were doing at the time, um, and it being a sort of very physical, very high paced style. And like I, I made this point in the book as well that there's so much in if you watch Manami Toyota and Aja Kong, there's so much of that match that was being called you know that style that was being called innovative and new when Okada and Kenny Omega were doing it like 23 24 years later um i mean sort of how do you feel about like the the japanese women's style of of that era it was the, it really was it was the cruiserweight scene and you know that the the men were doing years later long before the you know that was around um it was it uh, should get considerably more credit yeah absolutely it at the should. moment i mean that's the reason why they was able to run the tokyo dome you mm -hmm. know a combination of the fact that you know the the individuals were able to transcend different media platforms uh and then be able to deliver the way they did in the ring 
Um, the yeah, it, it was pretty much that. It's a case of they. I know that there was you know, you know, Aja and um, you know some of the heavyweights there, but they were doing like this fast paced you know style that the rest of the world for the rest you know where the men really didn't see you know for several years later. You know, um, I, I think I can remember the first time I saw Manami do that uh, top rope springboard moonsault, mm. you know, and, and the freaking, I remember cringing. I remember, cr- and I'll still cringe now, but I'll cringe more now than I did back when I was a youngster watching it, seeing Manami do those freaking top rope drop oh. kicks from the top yeah, of the floor. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. You know, those were big flat back bumps that she was taking, yeah. you know. There was hardly, like, no real catch involved in that you know that was just insane impact mm. uh, but they obviously you know for a while there was the mandatory you know uh you know retirement age and you know the uh the the career length was um you know for a while expected to be so much shorter with the with the women than it was with the men and you know what that seemed like they were going to be prepared to take the bumps of a 40-year career and a four-year career mm. You know, they were going absolutely, um, you know, full throttle. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, if um, people were, uh, there's so much influence in today's wrestling from that scene, but people don't know about it because they saw the people that copied them and then attributed those um, innovations to them rather than those that they were originally, you know, the nose people were getting it from. Mm. And I think that's, um, you know, a lot of uh, some of the misconceptions of women's wrestling happens is because they don't get the uh, the recognition because they were so far ahead of their ahead of their time, and there was still the element of uh, I don't watch women's wrestling. Perhaps even I don't. Perhaps even more so back then because it wasn't so uh, it wasn't pushed in the same way uh, in the Western world. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, Manami Toyota, like, yeah, did put herself through so much punishment, yet yeah, oddly had quite a lengthy career. Um, you know, ultimately... Don't is, though? That girl's crazy. Yeah. Right? I'll tell you now, <laughs> that was crazy. Right? So we had a rover, um, was end of 2016, yeah? yeah? So who couldn't lift her arm? She couldn't lift her shoulder, right? Her, her shoulder was so, so bad. And we're going through this match, her and Blue Nikita, and she's, you know, explaining that she can't really do much because of her shoulder. So it's like, you know, I'll do this one. No, I can't do that move. So the finish was going to be the pump handle driver, basically, Mm -hmm. um, rather than the ocean uh, cyclone suplex because she couldn't do it. Um, And she called a spot for, like, one drop kick, but she got so into the match and, you know, the Eve crowd being what the Eve crowd is like, she just got so behind it. She, like, started calling more and more stuff. So, like, one top rope drop kick turned into four top rope drop kicks. Um, the the plan finished. She then tells Blue Nikita to kick out so she can do the ocean mm-hmm. uh, cyclone. You know what I mean? It was just one of those things where, like, you know, before the match, she's, she's all sensible and like, no, I shouldn't do this. No, I shouldn't do this. I can't do this. And then she gets in there and she's like, fuck it, we're doing it. <laughs> you know, you're in it. You know, yeah, she's so I can see, you know, I can imagine, I couldn't tell you, you know, this is the case, but I can well imagine that she just kept adding spots in as the matches were going on. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Right. It was just like, 
before, before the match was like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't do this. And then she's in there and she's just like, no, we're doing it. Mm. You know, because that's that was what it was like with her and Blue Nikita. <laughs> I mean, one of the things, like, you know, I don't know how much you remember of that card, but, like, there's the the tournament, which is the real sort of centerpiece of, of that card, because, I mean, a lot of it is a very, very long show, but um, that the tournament makes so much sense as a consistent whole, that you have, like, Manami Toriotu, who's, who's just reckless, you have Aja Kong, who's brutal, like a, you know, a, a brutal sort of heavyweight like a bear almost you know and then you had like akira hokuto who was the who had the emotional core to that story um but uh yeah i mean like you, you had manami toroto over the last year as, as i said um and you're have you had aja kong over yet or like you're getting her in... no no she's never been in europe before mm. this um wrestle queen was the first time she'll have ever been over this part of the world so um this will be a. Uh, do you know what? It's quite funny when I asked about fucking um, uh, Aja, I got this uh, look on their faces. Um, the people in Japan who I um, went through to, you know, discuss the possibility, and they were like, "Are you sure?" And I was like, "What do you mean?" And they were like, "It's no gimmick." <laughs> and I was just like, "Right, okay, right." <laughs> I understand. I see what you mean. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that will be. Uh, it's the first time that she's uh, she's been over here, and um, yeah. So no, we, we've got no experience working with her yet, but uh, we're, um, looking we're, we're, we're looking forward to it. <laughs> I, we're looking forward to it. We're looking forward to my favorite thing of of recent Aja Kong was um, her singing the national anthem for the MT Arena match with Minoru Suzuki and Takagi for DDT (laughs) (laughs) and so she's you know and she's there and I don't think they clued in Suzuki because like there's a that you if you watch him like he he walks out she's already there and he just he's just start you know he has to hold it together but like he's corpsing there for like <laughs> for a couple of seconds it's like oh shit you know um <laughs> so, yeah i think they're very i i think they're they're similar people or similar personalities in a way like a suzuki and an well, we up, well we met up with minora suzuki a couple of weeks what about oh yeah yeah three four weeks uh, we went to dinner with him and he's very um, as you would kind of expect uh, but he has a wicked sense of humour yes. Yes. Uh, so you know it's uh, if if she's like Minoru we're all okay <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was super chill in a way that he clearly could be when someone knows oh god yeah that, like, we felt like the safest fucking people on the planet when mm. we were with him you know, there's no doubt about that. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and I imagine we'd feel the same way around Asia <laughs> as well. So, yeah, well, it's, I mean, you've had quite a few sort of girls over from and all the you know a, a lot of other sort of Joshi promotions. Um, people like Kaylee and Viper. Uh, yeah, and people like Kaylee and Viper. Been on our roster for years. Uh, yeah, Kaylee and Viper. Like they've been with Eve for Dunk. In fact, it was. It was Eve that actually sent Kaylee over to Japan the first time after we worked with JWP. Because mm-hmm. that's when we started doing the um, the Eve Talent Initiative, which is 
where we started sponsoring British wrestlers to go over to Japan. Not a lot of people realize this, but like, so like Nikki Storm's first ever, you know, trip to Japan again for JWP, that was all paid for and sponsored by Eve. Okay. Um, so we, we wanted the UK scene and it was the same with Kaylee Ray. We wanted the, so Kaylee was actually the first person that we sent over. Mm. Um, so it was, uh, it was a case of, we wanted the UK scene to get more and more exposure because there was this feeling that the, the American women were so far ahead of the UK that none of the Japanese promotions wanted to work, uh, were interested in having the British women over. In fact, I think the only British woman that had been over at that point um, was actually uh, Klondike Kate. Mm. And, uh, and then April Davids actually flew herself over uh, just before um, the Eve versus Ice Ribbon series uh, in 2011. Uh, to train with Ice Ribbon, and then we did the deal, uh, and we had a, a a deal going on there, and then the management changed basically, mm. uh, and our loyalty much to Emi Sakura, so um, we then uh, uh, basically started working with um, uh, JWP again. There's no heat between us and Ice Ribbon or anything mm. along those lines. We get on well. Um, uh, Sukasa's a mate, um, but it's. Um, we then started doing a deal where we just wanted Japan to really, and the rest of the world. There's this thing as though like that Japanese wrestling like now is still like the best in the world in terms of if they're in Japan, then everyone's yeah. great. And it's not the case. Right. There's, there's great in Japan. Yeah. There's also shit in Japan, yeah. like everywhere else. It's just, uh, in Japan, there are some of just like the absolute freaking best, mm. you know, but that doesn't mean that everyone is the absolute best. Sure. And we felt the talents on Eve, that we could, you know, that would benefit going there and that would make people's eyes open. And so we did the deal there for Kaylee to go, for Nikki to go. Um, and and we've done the deal. Sammy we've got going. Sammy going now. And it opened the doors where, like, the, the Japanese promotion, Alpha as well. Alpha will tell you the reason why she ended up going to stardom and going to Japan was because of Eve. Um, it was a case of they then were able to look at the talent that we had and they were like, actually, we should be working with there. And it just opened the doors for all the British and Europeans to start going over there. Um, and now we're doing the same thing where we're um, sponsoring uh, Sammy Jane to go over. And there's two more people that will be going over later in the year as well. Um, uh, because it's it's one thing to, to work with like one promotion in terms of stardom, um, but there's very much like an exclusivity mm, issue there. Another mm, mm, mm. thing able to go working with various promotions you know over there and to work with an assortment of uh legends as well and gain experience and knowledge and everything from them to help further everyone's craft um sorry i just went off yeah, this no, was that, nothing that, was, that was really that was really cool i was just sort of going to ask you how the sort of back and forth went with that but like yeah no i, I didn't know that that um yeah and you you sort of furthering the the british scene like it it means for you know a great sort of give and take there well our view was if we can make you know people see the quality of the talent that we had over uh, you know that we that we were going through at the time if they if the talent benefit will benefit so the whole scene will benefit from everyone being able to see just how good the rest of um you know the european women's wrestling scene uh, was at the time and it's even better now mm. you know right. so like and that was our general you know thought process was 
yeah, okay, like we're not getting paid for that. You know, we're paying all this and we're, you know, obviously paying a lot of money on the flights, but it was very much an investment. You know, we're investing, the, the talent that we chose to go over, we knew were the Could the thrive. Run. Yeah, and they would be a great advertisement for women's wrestling in Europe. The whole reason we made EVE, um, as I said earlier, was to provide the platform that the men had and, and most likely took for granted so the women could learn to work a main event style, could learn to work a comedy style, could learn all of these different styles of wrestling to find and structures there, like and main structures. event structures because there's a different completely different structure to work in main event mm. exactly so it was so they could find uh, a style of wrestling that they could bond with and improve and it's something that that the men had and that the women over here did not have that opportunity so it was only natural for us to then send the, the women to Japan so they could get that experience and learn more and then come back and pass it on to the other women on the roster. And that's how it was. It was about in as much about improving the the talent as well. Yeah. It means it means like, like to me on a personal level, that was something that meant the most out of E that we could help people uh, better themselves. Mm. Um the the Tokyo Dome, that All Japan Women's Tokyo Dome show, it's sort of, uh, it's it's bittersweet in a way because I mean it is like the the biggest platform that women's wrestling reached, and it really as a, as a sort of genre, it it kind of collapsed after that. Uh, the the recession beat uh, sort of bit women's wrestling before it bit the men. Um, although that would happen, and it, we sort of went through a long dark period that we're sort of kind of coming out of over over the last few years and recently um as you guys you know running the promotion that you do and also running a wrestling school as well um for your women what's what what is the sort of modern western approach or, or modern western view of japanese women's wrestling today um it's still seen as an honor to go to Japan in a, in a way, I would say. Yeah, um, but I don't think that's. The... But no, that has. Mm, uh, I don't. <laughs> no, it's just I'm just trying to think in terms of like, for the most part, um, I think people make the that It's still very niche. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like in terms of people that are aware of the women's scene in Japan, it's still incredibly niche. Um, I think. A personal view is I think a lot of people I think starting with brilliant in introducing an on-demand service a lot of people think that they're uh, like, like the only thing in Japan mm. and not aware of, like Sendai draw you know like 3,000 people to like their big shows a year you know yeah. um, and I think if more people saw um, you know Chihiro Hashimoto I think they'd be completely like blown away and the matches that like she's had with Mako and um uh, I think they'd be, you know, blown away. Um, I think uh, Stardom's been good for the, the women's wrestling scene because of their on-demand. Um, and I think that they're bringing in some of the, um, you know, the, the foreign talents maybe will have opened a few people to it. I can't really set up sure because I think you tend to see more of the, the, the Western wrestling fans tend to moan about seeing the foreigners on the... Um, uh, stardom shows these days um so i don't really know like how 
uh, a lot of fan. I think it's just like there's this um, going back to kind of like what I said earlier. There's this you know feeling as though if it's in Japan that everyone in Japan is just the best, which yeah. you know isn't the case at all. Sure, sure. Uh, but it. Um, uh, but I think that that is the um, uh, the connotation. So therefore, people have that in their mind when they think of you know Japanese wrestling. That's basically what I was trying to say but didn't complete the sentence <laughs> no no it wasn't your fault i i kind of meandered off <laughs> in my own but um you know so I, I don't really know i mean like in terms of like how we do um like with the school you know we certainly it's certainly not how um you know like gaia girls mm. or anything on this lines. i mean even the, the school oh. in japan like we so we're at the pub with mako and um we and the 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 documentary came up while we were talking and you know uh i made a i made a remark about you know uh, training was uh training looked uh looked good but hard and she just had this like look of horror on the idea of thinking (laughs) that i was saying that that's how training should always be because she was just like you know no that's you know brutal you know (laughs) it's like um you know it's uh, like they train hard but they're not killing each other and i explained no i didn't mean like busting people's mouths open yeah um but um you know like mako and uh emmy's training is you know known massively in japan like those two are considered like the two best trainers of women's wrestlers in japan um with us we it's we're very the with um with, i would say with tailored arts for western women um and the and the problems that that western women have we have like a big sense at the beginning of of real fun going in with the energy and pushing the workout and also help with in making women feel empowered and the ability to be loud and make noise and that because over here it's something that re- women really really seem to struggle with almost feeling embarrassed if they make a noise. Yeah. So a lot of our work is getting them past that so that they can then get with the wrestling. But, but the obviously Jap- the wrestling is very much But the Japanese um, really like the fact that we push the noise side because mm. a very few training schools in the West ever seem to push noise. Mm. Um, if you watch Japanese women's wrestling, they they're not quiet. They're yeah, making yeah. a load of noise. Uh, when Emmy came, like, Emmy came to uh, the EVE Academy a few weeks ago, and she actually burst into tears because she loved it so much and loved seeing how uh, how we did things and and um, uh, how many students that we had. Uh, it it actually made her cry, cry happy tears. Um, so it's um, I, I don't know like you know how much you can link the two. Like we're very much our own things, but they complement one another. I took the approach of really putting that focus on on making sure there's the comfort and in making noise and the empowerment from watching Emmy do seminars over here, yeah. seeing what she was wanting the women to do, but knowing that the trainees who some of them were already working could not run the ropes and yell because they were, they were too internal and they, they almost felt embarrassed to make that loud noise. It was seeing that that made me think like, okay, how can we communicate this? to the wrestlers and what way can we encourage them and get them comfortable with that so it was seeing her training which is amazing yeah. and then tailoring it more to, to how people over here respond i think I the say. um the most disappointing thing for us is that we've seen is um from some of the more um wrestlers on the scene is how few of them 
seem to be uh, the, the women on the scene is how few of them are actually interested in the Japanese wrestling scene. Yeah. Um, and also how few of them are interested in training. This isn't everyone, but it is certainly a large majority. So, for example, when we announced about doing make, uh, you know, training seminars with Emmy and Mako, we had hardly any take up whatsoever. Um, and, you know, which was, you know, disheartening because there are a number of women on the scene right now and it's not like we're expecting, like, you know, Kaylee Ray or those girls. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like, they're the ones that are there working shows. But, you know, the people that want to be the next Kaylee Ray, the next Nikki Storm and whatnot, you know, they, you know, should be looking at um, at women like, you know, Mako and Emmy and, you know, uh, these individuals and, and, and looking at an opportunity to, um, uh, to, to learn from them uh, and, and jumping at it with both hands. Uh, instead, even a couple of the girls that did come down, you know, one of them tried to tell Emmy that she was doing it wrong. Oh. Uh, and it was just like, It's the first time wow. I've seen Emmy, like, I think, losing her temper. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it was, uh, yeah. Like when, like, Minami Toyota tells people to learn from Emmy. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, you know, that's, that's the level of, of, of Emmy's on, on training. Um, I think so. Again, I'm kind of coming back around to what we were saying about the link between um, the the British wrestling scene and the Japanese uh, women's wrestling scene. Um, I think there's a fair degree of ignorance from a number of the the next generation with regards to the women uh, wrestlers in Japan. We're working on getting rid of that. Yeah, that's something that we're, you know, I think that's just a lot of people have had it very, uh, a lot easier than perhaps what it used to be and of course emily and i you know we've been doing this the the may 12th show um which is the week after wrestle queendom you know that's the eighth anniversary of eve um but it's actually the uh you know emily and i have been promoting women's wrestling shows for uh, over 11 years now so like we've seen it you know really bad like to the point where like the early shows we had to get everyone to work twice to fill a whole show out because there were so few you know actual you know, good quality, talented wrestlers um, to, to how it is now. And I think that perhaps that's because I'd like to see more um, women in the wrestling scene, in the wrestling scene, show an interest in women's wrestling and get over their Monday night habits. Mm. All right. Um, so, yeah, I, I won't take up any more of your time. Like this has been really, really awesome. Uh, on the way out here, most people uh we'll probably be listening to this episode of the podcast in the summer so uh with that in mind um and yeah not to be too too time sensitive because i'm not exactly sure uh when this is going out because i heard um the backers of the book get the uh get the podcast episodes early uh but the rest of the people have to wait until august sometime so with that in mind, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, a little bit more about Eve and uh, what you have going on and uh, and the company and the school and and all of that promotional stuff. I, I want to say that if if that's the case and and you're listening in the summer, there was this amazing show, history making show called Wrestle Queendom. Oh, you missed it. Oh, but you can watch it on our on demand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You want to find out more about pro wrestling, even see what the quality is like. Um, then our on-demand service is the best way for it, uh, which is eveondemand.pivotshare.com. But there's a direct link off of evewrestling.com as well. Um, 
you know, I, I can't go into like name dropping because it's just, you know, business wise. Um, but there is a, you know, we've been really, you know, put over for the quality of what our shows are like, um, by the biggest in the business. Um, and it's something that we take a lot of, you know, pride in is actually the quality. Because the truth of the matter is, right, a lot of the people that we bring over, they don't really add many uh, ticket sales. Um, you know, certainly not enough to warrant their cost. But we have um, tremendous pride in the quality of what our product is. And uh, if you, you know, we, we very much believe that, you know, we put our money where our mouth is and, uh if you someone goes and checks out Eve's event, then they'll see that for themselves. So uh, either get to any personal Eve event, which we very much believe that we are. Uh, I'll be honest, if we didn't think that we could hang and be and be classed as the best wrestling promotion in the world, uh, we wouldn't we wouldn't do it. So yeah, give it a give it a shot. Eve, Eve on demand, and see personal Eve for yourself.